and we're going to uh, we're going to be in in John chapter 15 today. So um, this year, uh, one thing we wanted to do each quarter is to look at one aspect of Christian love. So you know maybe you've heard the different Greek words for love before. You know you've got uh, agape. That's a, that's a, a word that's kind of a Greek word that maybe is a part of your vocabulary. That's the kind of love we talk about, the kind of love that God shows us. It's, there's no strings attached. It's a gift love. It's not, it's not, uh, there's nothing in return. It's just a giving sort of love, so that agape love. Um, we have a, a, a city in our nation named Philadelphia that's got another Greek word in it, phileo, which is that friendship love. And so that's the, the city of brotherly love is what Philadelphia stands for, right? Um, there's also eros, which uh, we have an English word, erotic, uh, that's connected to that. So that would be intimacy. It'd be the, uh, the kind of love that's created for within marriage and, and as a picture of that intimate love that, that Christ has for the church as we read in Ephesians 5. Um, probably missing some. I know compassion is another one that would be in there. The one that we looked at in February together as a church family was uh, the, the word affection. And so that uh, you know, you don't need to know the Greek word, but it's storge if, if you're really a nerd and you, and you care. Uh, but that was, we looked at three weeks on different uh, New Testament passages that relate to that word affection. So we wanted to return to that theme uh, as elders. We were praying about God's direction, the emphasis for 2019. And it pops up a couple times on the back of your bulletin in our mission statement. Uh, there's a phrase in there that talks about one of our goals as a church is to demonstrate God's love to our community. And so that's really taking the commandment of Jesus to love one another and, and broadcasting it out there, right? In fact, Jesus himself in John 13 says that that's precisely what will happen. He says, a new commandment, I leave you, that you love one another. And then he says, by this all the people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So it is part of our outward mission, how well we do on loving one another. The world's watching to see, is there anything different about a Christ follower from everybody else that you meet? And so that is part of our mission as a church is to demonstrate God's love to others. Also under the values, you know, we have a, a value of, sorry, let me make a little adjustment here. A, a relational value as a congregation that in our relationships with one another, we will overflow with God's love. So that's the inward mission part of it, that we're working on this that happens right here. And maybe being in a smaller room where we're having to rub shoulders a little bit might help us in that way over the summer as we're uh, actually getting to, to squish in a little bit and get a little uncomfortable and have to fight for those chairs, right? You know, love grows best in small places. No, I'll, I'll skip that. So that, those are a couple things that we feel uh, that God is leading us in as a congregation. And so in John chapter 15, one of these words for love that we're going to look at today and then the next couple of weeks is that friendship love. Jesus describes it here in John 15. And we'll get to that. It's right in the middle of the chapter. But let's set it up by reading his teaching first as, as he talks about a vine with branches. This is the analogy that Jesus uses to describe being connected to him and our connection to one another, how that affects it. So in, in John 15, verse 1, it says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you, have, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. 
Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, and then he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Man, there's a lot in that teaching. And, you know, it's not just here in chapter 15. It, it starts back in chapter 13. It's a theme in this entire dialogue of Jesus talking about love and the relationship between love and commandments. And now he's going to go into a section on friendship, which seems maybe a little bit of a disconnect, but we'll get to that in a moment. The beauty of the, the analogy that Jesus paints here is that there's a connection. You know, think about uh, how many of you had some hail damage in the last couple of weeks, took some leaves off of your trees, if you're like me, spent 80 bucks at Lowe's and had all my little, you know, tomato plants and all the little flowers that were supposed to go in pots. Half of it was in the ground, half still on the wagon, and the hail came and obliterated everything. So I'm trying to nurse some of it back to health. Thankfully, there's still some new leaves that are coming out on that. But, you know, the, the branches that got knocked off, from what I've seen, they're not doing too well. There's still some branches from the aspen trees from prior to that. I think it was around Mother's Day, the snowstorm that came, right? Um, those, those branches that are laying on the ground, the leaves have now withered. They're looking drier and drier. I keep hoping that maybe there's going to be some life restored to them. That's why I haven't cleaned them up yet, leaving them laying there. But so far, it's not looking too, too good for those branches. And so it, it's a simple analogy that, that Jesus brings to us that we can connect with, right? You don't want to be a branch laying off there all by yourself. Stay connected to the vine. And the goal is to bear fruit, right? Not just to be a branch on the vine, but to produce fruit. That's a useful kind of a branch. That's a useful plant when the grapes can be harvested and pressed and, and turned into wine. That, that branch has now served its purpose. And it's not a chore. It's not a burden. It's not a, there's no obligation or duty connected to it. There's a joy that comes in a branch staying connected to the vine. A branch wants to produce fruit. I think sometimes as Christians, we feel like any fruit production, any any, anything productive is, is a, a labor, it's a chore, it's a burden. And yet Jesus connects it with joy. Verse 11, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you. This is all about joy. Don't get caught up on the commandment part. You know, when you hear commandment, you probably don't get nice, warm, goosebump feelings, right? You know, that, that's one of those words that we tend to bristle against. Oh, who, who do you think you are to command me? And yet, it's a joy for a branch to stay connected to the vine, Jesus says. Now, th this is all focused on verse 8. 
By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. This whole, this whole entire argument, this whole package deal is focused on one goal, the glory of the Father. And so there's a vine, his name is Jesus. There's branches, look around the room, you and I. Our goal is to produce fruit, and that fruit is glory to God. It's lifting him up, it's exalting him, it's making his name magnificent in the entire world. And when that is all happening, yes, there are commandments. That's part of remaining in the vine. But it's all pointed towards joy and the experience of God's love. Living in that love. Letting his love abide within us. How does this relate to our relationships with one another? Well, it doesn't come up yet in this passage. But, you know, when, when there are multiple branches connected to the same vine... There is a connection between those branches as well. The central focus is the vine. You know, it's not branches connected to branches, but when you look across and you see another branch connected to the vine that's bearing fruit, you say, hey, you're focused on the same goal that I am, producing fruit that brings glory to the Father. And that really is the basis for friendship. Let me read to you an excerpt from C.S. Lewis's book, The Four Loves, as he talks about the difference between friendship and mere companionship. So he says this, friendship arises out of mere companionship when two or more of the companions discover that they have in common some insight or interest or even taste which the others do not share and which till that moment each believed to be his own unique treasure or burden. The typical expression of opening friendship would be something like, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. It is when two such persons discover one another, when, whether with immense difficulties and semi-articulate fumblings or with what would seem to us amazing and elliptical speed, they share their vision. It is then that friendship is born. And instantly they stand together in an immense solitude. His picture of friendship is really, you know, it's not, it's not like the love that exists between lovers where you look into each other's eyes and you talk about the relationship and you talk about the beauty in one another. It's not that sort of a love. It's more of the kind of love where you stand shoulder to shoulder and you look at the same truth that you both know to be true and you both believe and then you're amazed that you found someone who's that kindred spirit, that soulmate, that sees it the same way you do when everybody else seems to be seeing something else. And it does create a solitude. In fact, as believers, maybe you feel this, right? That when you've fixed your eyes on Jesus, when you've set your sight on the greater glory of God, that's a countercultural perspective that you have. You're seeing something that most people around you are not. They're seeing other truths. Truths of acquiring more, climbing the ladder, finding temporal happiness in the pleasures of this life. And yet you're seeing a different truth that whenever you meet a believer, a a Christian, no matter what culture they're from, what language they speak, what nation they live in, there's that connection, that friendship connection that unites you because you see the same truth. And you say, what? You too? You see the greater glory of God. You see the vine. You're a branch connected You're focused on bearing fruit. Abiding in Jesus 
Jesus says it's not just that we abide in him, but that he lives in us. And his words are coursing with life in our veins. And his love is what sets the rhythm of our heartbeat. And in every breath we draw, it's filled with the joy that only he gives. Right along with that, his commandments are in the synapses and the capillaries in our nervous system and our circulatory system. It's all about his greater glory. That's the way a branch connects to a vine. The roots, the leaves, it all produces life and growth and health and fruit because of the connection to the vine. And when you find another branch that's focused on that same goal of producing fruit for the glory of God, there is the potential for friendship to develop. So now Jesus talks specifically about friendship beginning here in verse 12. Repeating a commandment that he already laid out for his followers in chapter 13. He says again, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. When Jesus says, I command, I think we better sit up and pay attention. Right? We like to think of the Ten Commandments as being back in the Old Testament. Kind of optional now, right? You know, we're in the New Testament. We can kind of pick and choose from what we'd like to bring into the New Testament, right? When Jesus says, a command I leave to you, there should be no question as to whether that is the correct path to proceed down. Jesus says, this is a command that you love one another. Part of being connected to the vine, focused on the glory of God, producing fruit, is obeying the commands. Joy comes down that path. And then he gives a a preview of something to come in verse 13. You want to really see a picture of love? It's when someone lays down his or her life for a friend. Get ready, disciples. You'll understand more about what this means a little bit later in the story. You know, we, we consider an ordinance in the, in the Christian world uh, something that Jesus taught and did and the early church practiced. So for us, the two ordinances that we c- carry on are the uh, ba- baptism and also communion. So those are the two that we see that Jesus said, hey, you know, repent and be baptized. As often as you take the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim my death until I come. Jesus himself was baptized. Jesus himself broke bread with the disciples at the Last Supper. And then when you read the letters that Paul wrote to the churches, you see them practicing both baptism and communion. I would say friendship would be another ordinance that we could potentially uh, point to in the Scripture. Jesus commands friendship in the way that says, I don't live for me, but I'm going to lay down my life for you. Not just a one-time event, but I'm going to deny myself, take up my cross daily and follow after him. I'm going to look out not just for my own interests, but to the interests of others. And Jesus gives those explicit teachings. He models it in his own life. 
And then we see examples of that in the, in the early church as well. This is an important principle for the church that we value friendship. It's not an option to be a Lone Ranger Christian. You know, just a me and Jesus experience. We've even got songs about that, right? Though none go with me, still I will follow. Well, there are those that are going with you. Look around the room. And Jesus says, I give you a command that you love one another. What does that look like? It looks like laying down your life for others. Not taking that preferred seat of honor for yourself, but but elevating others. Looking out for the interests of one another. The the church at at times will talk about inward mission and outward mission. I mentioned that earlier, right? Uh, Another way you could categorize that would be discipleship and evangelism. So on the inward mission, you look around the room, presuming that we are Christ followers here in this room, there's there's some inward mission tasks that we have that are related to discipleship, following. What does it look like to follow after Jesus? Well, you know, we want to use the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given to each one of us to edify and build up the body, right? So uh, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, you each have a gift given to you. You're a body part, and the the body uh, needs you to use that gift to serve and to bless. And as you do, the body is built up and strengthened. Christ is the head, and yet we're joined together with one another in a way that builds each other up. Inward mission. Uh, We're called to carry each other's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So we don't see, see a brother or sister in Christ struggling and just say, well, good luck with that. You know, we, we look for ways to help alleviate those burdens. We carry the burdens together. Galatians tells us that. Um, we are called to rejoice with those that rejoice and mourn with those that mourn. Empathize with the, the plight of our brothers or sister. Celebrate with them, rejoice together with them, inward mission. We're called to reconcile and to live at peace with one another. The list goes on and on. The tasks that we are called to in ways that we're practicing Christian friendship as branches connected to a vine, producing fruit together, focused on the greater glory of God. And yet, a church that only focuses on inward mission risks becoming ingrown, a social club, you know, just about togetherness and connection and failing to fulfill the outward mission. So there's an outward mission that we're also given in Scripture that's beyond just this room right here. There's a a lost, hurting, dying world of people that here at the end of our chapter we're going to find out are called enemies of God. People that hate God. They've not experienced the love of God. And there's a mission that we have in this world Jesus' last words at the end of Matthew 28. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all nations, making disciples, baptizing them. In the book of Acts, as the Holy Spirit is poured out, the purpose of the Holy Spirit being poured out, it's not just so we can have warm goosebumps as we huddle together. It's to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We're empowered to be witnesses of Jesus, to testify, to proclaim, to bring good news. And you know, if it's all outward mission and no inward mission, we're not living in authentic, loving relationships with one another, then we risk being what uh, 1 Corinthians 13 describes as without love, a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Have you ever met a Christian like that? 
It's like clang, 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 clang. And they're out there, you know, standing on a street corner handing out gospel tracts or doing outward mission stuff, but in a way that it's not connected to the body of Christ. So either without the other is imbalanced. Jesus himself gives us the proper balance on these. You know, it's not a happy middle road or it's not equal parts one or the other. There is a process where inward mission and outward mission marry together in a way that is effective and it brings glory to God. And Jesus says it like this in John 13, verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. Inward mission. If you do, all people will know you are my followers. Outward mission. And so we work on inward mission so that it can flow out to outward mission. Okay? You know, you can't really do it in the reverse. Um, churches have tried to do that. Let's try to get a big crowd of people and then inward mission stuff will happen automatically. Or you find out that's not how we're wired as Americans, right? We'd rather have a consumer, spectator mindset about everything, right? You know, so maybe last week you shopped at, uh, I've got to be careful here, name and brands here. Maybe last week, you know, you, sh- you shopped at King Super, but, you know, this week you got the Sprouts Flyer and you abandoned that and you went over, you know, you're no longer a loyal customer to King Super. Now you're over at Sprouts because their produce is a, a nickel cheaper, right? Well, that's the way we're wired and that happens in our relationships too, unless we're committed to one another. And part of being committed is living as friends, being, finding that person that you say, all right, I'm going to stay connected to the vine together with you. I'm going to fulfill what Jesus commands. Uh, There is a one another here, right? So there's a way of knowing who's a one another and then who's in the second category that we're going to read in verses 18 and following. Um, When Jesus says, a command I give you that you love one another, that's the utopian ideal, right? And when you hear that, wouldn't you love to have that in your family, right? That you'd love to have that love for one another, even as your teenagers reach those really uh, difficult years, they say, oh, we just have this love for one another. How many of you have teenagers or you have raised teenagers? Is the, the messy reality always in line with the utopian ideal? Or is there a little gap at times, right? We've got, we've got a, a future newlywed couple sitting right here. They're, uh, they're about a month out from their wedding. Our, our oldest daughter, Malaika, and her fiancé, Samid. Right now, they're living in this you know, fairy tale world of this of this romance that's going to culminate. You know, on July 15th, there's going to be butterflies and rainbows and unicorns, right? How many of you have been married for a while and you know that the messy reality is not always perfectly aligned with that utopian ideal, right? There's some challenges that come when you start talking about love. And when Jesus says, I command you to love one another, maybe your first thing is a nice warm oh this is awesome oh just we're gonna love one part of loving one another means you endure hardship together you make it through conflict you reconcile you do some heavy lifting somebody's got a burden and you say i'm gonna help you with that burden and it's not fun and you actually didn't have time this week to help with that and yet you remember that our lord commands us and the end goal is joy joy that's full bearing fruit the greater glory of god and after all the hard work of raising kids and getting them through the teenage years and the challenges that come, you say it's worth it. And after all the hard, hardships that come in marriage and the challenges that come and you work it through and you tough it out, you say it was worth it. 
And there's a richer, deeper joy and hope and love that's experienced after you go through some of those storms that come. Christian friendship is that way. You get two people looking at that same truth and saying, you see it the same way I do? Let's obey his commands together. Let's rejoice. Let's remind each other to stay connected to the vine, to abide in him. Let's draw on his strength and encourage one another to do so because there will be storms that come. Verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. There are, there are those who we read about in the beginning of this chapter who are focused on the Father's glory. Those who remain in Jesus and he remains in them. Those who are keeping his commandments. These are called branches connected to a vine focused on bearing fruit. And, and the promise is that there's an experience of his love and joy that is full for that category of people that are in verses 1 through 11. Unfortunately, there's another category of people that we've met here at the end of the chapter. These are people who do not know God. They've had opportunity to know God because of Jesus' example, his words and his demonstrated actions. And yet, instead of loving God, they've chosen hatred of God. Now, really, the, the word for hate in the Bible, it's, it's kind of like, the words that we're looking at, different meanings, different nuances of the word love. Really, another word you could substitute for hate in the Bible, both Old and New Testament, is to not choose. Um, it's kind of different from the connotation that we have. So there's a, a verse at the beginning of Malachi that says, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Well, it, God doesn't hate in the way that we hate, right? It was that God chose, elected, selected, picked Jacob. He did not choose, did not pick, did not prefer, uh, did not predestine, did not elect his brother Esau, his twin brother. And so it's hatred in, in contrast to a choosing sort of love. Uh, you also have Jacob himself demonstrating that back in the book of Genesis, where he works for seven years for Laban, uh, prior to the privilege of marrying his daughter, Rachel. But on the 
morning after the wedding, he's surprised to find her older sister Leah is in the tent with him. Okay, and so that was not what he had picked. And so then Laban's like, surprise, you get two for the price of one. So, you know, you got Leah for the first seven years, you get Rachel now, and then you just work another seven. It'll be all great. Now, different time in history. But there was a, a, a hatred that Jacob had toward Leah. It wasn't that he wished ill upon her, that he wanted her life to be miserable. It's not the active way that we use that word, but it's a, a way of not choosing. Well, here, there's, a, there's some words about the world hating Jesus, hating God. And it's a, it's a not choosing sort of meaning where the world, though they see Jesus, though they've heard about Jesus, though they've heard his words, they choose a different path of not staying connected to the vine. In fact, their kind of hatred, the hatred of the world, actually does get more like the kind of hatred that we know today because it nails Jesus to the cross. And so it is an active ill-intent, malintent sort of emotion that results in actions that crucify our Lord. And so we live in that world. Um, you know, there's a draw at times and a temptation to fit in, to blend in. You know, like, you, you don't want to rock the boat too much. You don't want to make waves, right? You kind of want to be accepted by people around you. You want to be culturally relevant, Right? And that's all fine and good, except for the reality of what Jesus teaches here. That if the world loves you as its own, you're in dangerous territory, Jesus says. Because you're then just of this world. Well, of course the world's going to love somebody who has the same values, beliefs, goals as the world has. Because now you're a friend of the world. You're looking at the same truth that they already believe. And there's no confrontation with the greater glory of God being the supreme goal of our existence. There's no urging to be a branch connected to the vine that produces fruit. There's no need to obey the commandments of Christ because there's a, an artificial, temporary, fleeting joy or high that they get somewhere else. But Jesus says, if you want full joy, remain in me, abide in me. That's how you're going to bear fruit that's how you're going to find the purpose and meaning in your life. And when you do, you'll be among the select few. And yet you'll find some people that stand shoulder to shoulder, maybe just a person looking at the same truth as you see. And you'll exclaim with joy and delight, what? You see it too? You see him as well, high and lifted up, glorious, the source of life and joy and hope. My prayer for you is that you will find Christian friendship on the journey to God's new creation. And that's to borrow a phrase from the book, The Meaning of Marriage by uh, the Kellers. And they say, really, this is the goal of, of, of a marriage. Okay? It's not that you like, find the e-harmony uh, 52 points of compatibility with somebody who doesn't need any work and who will accept you exactly as you are because you're pretty much perfect already. That's what our world is looking at in relationships, right? I, I gotta find my soulmate. That person who looks at me and says, you are just perfect as you are. I accept you. I won't ever ask you to change anything about who you are right now. I won't grumble if you don't squeeze the tube from the bottom and flatten it as you go up. 
I'll just love you exactly as you are, and who doesn't need any work. The problem is that person doesn't exist, and you're not perfect. So two problems with that, with that goal. But what if your goal in, in the, the most intimate relationship where Christian love is expressed, a marriage, what if the goal instead is Christian friendship on the journey to God's new creation? And you find that person that you say, what, you too? You see the greater glory of God as life's highest aim. You're a branch connected to the vine. Let's walk together for a lifetime, focused on that goal, showing the world what it looks like when two people commit to pursuing him with all that they are, abiding in him, and then encourage each other along the way because the world will hate us. There's opposition and trials that come, not to mention our own sin and our own desire at times to be disconnected from the vine and go do our own thing, but to have that spiritual friend that's walking with you and reminding you of the goal, praying for you, lifting you up and encouraging you. That's a whole different goal for marriage than what our world has. And within the body, it's not just marriages, but who's that friend maybe right here in this room that God's calling you to say, what if you... What are you prioritizing? What's your goal? I gave you a command to love one another as I've loved you. How are you putting that into practice today, this week? Next week, we'll, we'll continue this theme of looking at the, uh, this New Testament theme of friendship, Christian friendship. And we'll look at some of the obstacles and hurdles that come in building friendships with one another in our families and in our church and uh, look at how to overcome that as well. So let's stand together in prayer today. Lord God, we don't want to just be hearers of your word, but we want to be doers. So we pray today that as we've heard clear commands from your lips, we would put these into practice. Lord, that we would be branches that remain in the vine. We'd stay connected to, we would abide in you. Lord, make our joy complete as we Keep your word, keep your commandments. Allow your love to permeate our hearts. Return that love to you by bringing glory to your name. Lord Jesus, we thank you that it's not just a master-slave relationship that we have with you. It is that. We come to you today acknowledging you as our Lord, bowing before you, humbling ourselves to you, realizing that you have all authority. You are all glory. And yet we thank you that you've drawn us closer, that once we get down on our face before you and kneel, you call us to rise and to come to your side and you call us friends. You disclose all things to us. You don't withhold any knowledge from us of who you are, but you make yourself known to us. Thank you for that joy and hope of being your friends. And Lord, help us now to obey your command to have that shape our relationships with one another in the families in this room. Uh, in, the, in the different life groups that exist here, in the different ministry teams that are present here, and in the new friendship, the new spiritual friendship just forming today between two people who just met, and yet with wonder and amazement, they said, what? You too? You see Jesus? You see his greater glory as our highest aim? And Lord, may we fan into flame that inward mission so that we can go out to a world where we'll experience hatred and rejection, and yet will be your witnesses as your Holy Spirit empowers us and enables us and will make you known 
and bring others to that place of hope and love and joy as well. Go with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.